Welcome to the Crime of the Century podcast, where we expose higher education as a scam that it is. I am Kevin Prendeville, and I believe that because of what we're teaching our students, we're losing an entire generation. And today, as always, we'll be diving headfirst into controversial subjects undaunted by political correctness. Uh, Hungary is a lovely little country in Europe. It, it really is. It's, it's beautiful right there in uh, Central Europe between Romania and Austria. And it was conquered by the Ottomans in the 1500s, taken back by Vienna in the following centuries. A couple ways of fascism, communism, and now it's back to fascism. So the cycle will continue there as always. But recently, the sort of new regime, it's not totally fascist yet, but they have great power and what they've done is banned gender studies from their universities because it's not economically necessary and so while I, I don't necessarily disagree with that statement I do think it's important to realize how the humanities and their ideas have influenced American culture and American universities here and how they've contributed to the crime of the century. So I'd like to start today off by talking about a guy we've talked about three times now, I think, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, and he's very, very important and very, very forgotten. He was a philosopher in France in the early to mid-1700s, and his great accomplishment, and I could say that without hyperbole, and I can say that even though I disagree with a lot of his points, he was the first to write and communicate to the rest of the world the social contract. Now, many philosophers before him understood the social contract, but he was the first one to put it in writing. And the basic idea is that we all are free to do whatever. You know, um, Jack, the guy behind the camera, I could get up and stab him with something, but if I killed him, I'd go to jail, right? But I have the freedom to get up and and do something or, or get up and, and, and steal something. Nothing is physically stopping me from doing that. But we all give up our freedom and the concept of liberty, and freedom and liberty are different, where liberty is the ability of the individual to give up all of that freedom, not all of it, but give up some of that freedom so that we can all achieve something greater as a, as, as, as a society. And so Rousseau was the first one to put that in writing. That's a great accomplishment and it helped communicate, it put him on the map and helped communicate a lot of ideas that were previously really kept from the, the halls of the philosopher. Now the problem, not with that portion of Rousseau's writing, the problem with his later writings is it really laid in the fact that what he believes the government's job is. And he is really a lot, be, uh, continental Europe has this philosophy that the government is there to serve the will of the people. And so they, that's, he would be more democratic in the sense that Rousseau believed that laws are created to recognize the will of the people which already exists as a collective. So you can see where collectivism as an idea where Karl Marx got his ideas. You can see that forming, but Rousseau isn't as radical because he still believes in, in the democratic process. He still believes in hierarchy himself. Um, it's just 
that kings don't have power, and he was writing more towards bringing down the old structure uh, of the king that existed at the time. Now, he had the idea too, he had a lot of rather crazy ideas when it came to parenting. He had five children by the same woman and um, against her will decided he was going to give them uh, all up for adoption. And, and he did and after that he decided he was going to write a number of books on parenting. All right, And uh, turns out some of these ideas are a little bit out there and one of them is the idea that as a parent you should the the, 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 the child is pure and what I mean by that is it, and it came back to Dennis Diderot who was a contemporary of, of Rousseau. Dennis Diderot said that all human beings are good until they reach Western civilization, which is inherently evil and corrupt. Again, you can see Marxism kind of coming from this idea in which the individual becomes corrupted by society, that society is corrupting. I mean, like Rousseau didn't wear a watch because he didn't want to be bound by society. He wouldn't accept gifts because he feel he would be corrupted by the outside world if he would accept gifts from people. So he didn't have a whole lot of friends either, and that's probably where he came up with these crazy ideas. So basically he told parents, if your kid is misbehaving, let him misbehave. Essentially do nothing because the child is pure and experiencing the world and doing all these crazy things. and that idea, really what it does is just eliminate standards for the child. There's no point at which the child can do something wrong and violate a norm or a standard and it kind of creates, it, really what it does is create deviancy instead of the Darwinistic survival of the fittest um, because you aren't setting what is morally right for the child which the whole idea of um, in law, not letting children represent themselves, you know, we have the whole you're a minor if you're under 18 and then we have laws now up to 21 and that kind of stuff. Um, really that comes from the notion that as a minor you don't have the full experience of, of, of the world yet and you still need someone to kind of help guide you with some of the nuances in society. And that's not a problem. but. The issue is when you get into people who have taken Rousseau's ideas, maybe taken some Marx, or maybe taken Marx's ideas, who got them from Rousseau, and then started to change cultures based off of that. And, here, and here's what I mean. We have, uh, and this comes from the universities and the academics. Obviously, we're getting a little academic with the history of, of you know, European philosophy here. but what we're getting into now, uh, what we see are really affirmative action laws. And these came out in the 70s uh, during kind of when, when we finally were integrating um, women and, and, and people of color into the workforce. And these laws, I would argue, were necessary at the time because you still had, even though the, the government wasn't banning people of color or women from certain uh, jobs, which they shouldn't be the, the the government shouldn't be allowed to ban anyone from any job at any time for any reason, unless they're you know mentally unfit or uh, excluding some uh, 
uh, outlying circumstance, but on the basis of color, race, gender, all that stuff, government should have no part in banning anyone of any, any creed based solely on that creed. So, but it was still necessary to have affirmative action because you couldn't guarantee that bosses and people in, in certain positions weren't still prejudiced towards certain groups just for being part of that group. Again, if somebody, if, if we do live in a meritocracy and that's at the basis what capitalism is and that's why it works so well because the best people are picked because they're the best, not because they're, you know, part of a certain creed. But affirmative action nonetheless was necessary. But not now. We still have a lot of these laws in place and I would argue against anyone who says we're still a racist society. Now, the politicians benefit from saying stuff like that, but you look around most of the United States, you know, I'm very close proximity to the South, which still has that racial stigma around it. Except for, you know, maybe one or two, uh, two people that, uh, that don't even really come to mind off the top, you know, off, off the top of my head. I cannot think of anyone who is outwardly racist or um, sexist or, or, or any of the evilness of, of, of judging people by their group identity. That has pretty much been washed away out of American culture. Again, still exists in either some instances, still exists in Washington because there is great benefit to playing identity politics. We discussed this last week. But now it's almost a barrier because let's say someone, uh, let's say a woman is uh, in an office setting and she is just, she's just flat out better than everybody else. She shows up to work not only on time, 15 minutes early, she stays 30 minutes late. She's in there every day, sick, well, doesn't matter if, uh, what's going on. She's there. She's a killer. She's doing well. And she's just better than everybody else. And so she gets promoted, right? Because that's, that's how these things work. Everyone else around her is going to think, eh, well, but she's a woman, so, you know, affirmative action. They need, you see, California recently had their new law where every board, uh, every board of any publicly tra company, uh, traded company in California needed a woman on the board. Well, that really hurts the women who actually work. And, and you know, I don't want to get into the nuances of, of people like Dr. Peterson when they talk about the differences between men and women in the workplace. Regardless, if somebody's earned that position, they've earned that position, and there shouldn't be something that almost acts as a barrier now or as a, you know, someone looks at someone of color who's done really well and is now, you know, up in position and they kind of look at them a little side-eyed like, you know, are you really qualified for this position? Because that's what affirmative action is. It's based entirely on group identity, getting them to a certain place. Again, the, the road to hell is painted with, with good intentions. And so the, you know, looking side at at people though because you don't really know if they're qualified. That, that, that's the point. In a meritocracy, these group identity, you know, forcing people of a certain group to be in a certain place doesn't fly. Um, the problem really all comes back, and here's where it ties all the way back to the institutions. Rousseau, affirmative action, the dissolution of meritocracy, all of this stuff all ties back into the universities. Here's how. Because Marxism which is an ideology that says all hierarchies are bad. Hierarchies, again, for those who don't know, basically are based on a number of different factors, but it's, the term has a bit of a stigma around it. But 
at its genesis, hierarchy is just how a society is constructed. For good or ill, that's the word we use to describe how a society is constructed. Now, they can be based on a, many different things, and, and what we live in in America, in America in a meritocracy, is based on how good you are at a certain job, and that will determine how far you get, or how you are remembered. But the Marxists view is that all hierarchies are bad. So what we have to do is, because they're based on power, and you have to understand this, that they, they believe that all hierarchies are based solely on power, which is patently false. You can even see, we can use scientific data to say that one, not only are, are hierarchies uh, necessary, but they exist in almost any ma uh, mammal society, society or group, chimps, apes, uh, Dr. Peterson uses uh, lobsters, you can see how scientifically they do exist, and they're not based on power. But, but here, here, here's the, the bigger picture here. So the idea from the Marxists, and the Marxists that control a lot of the universities, is that all hierarchies are bad, all hierarchies are based solely on power. Therefore, they say all hierarchies must be dissolved. This means in terms of wealth, this means in terms of culture, this means in everything. So you see this with attacks on, on uh, white people because they say you're in power, you only got it because of, uh, of, of power, it needs to be dissolved, you need to you know, be cut down a notch or two. And so they'll attack different angles saying you know, white privilege and um, I don't know, some of the other crazy stuff. Harvard Business Law had an had a article out recently saying office politics was a white man's thing. So a lot of attacks based on identity there, um, because that's in the end what you get caught up in, the identity politics that we explored last week. And you look at all of the things that they're trying to dissolve, and it comes back to they're trying to dissolve every hierarchy everywhere, whether that's um, even with elections. Elections are a meritocracy. We determine using our rational brains who's the best and based on evidence in elections, and that's the whole point. Well, you can't have that if all hierarchies are bad, right? It just has to be as is. If we're dissolving all hierarchies uh, following the Marxist way, then we can't have elections because if somebody's better than another, it creates a hierarchy, right? Um, so what it comes down to is the Marxists trying to destroy all these hierarchies. But what it results in is simply the creation of a new hierarchy that is based solely on power because to dissolve everything you need a certain amount of power right because you can't not everyone's going to go along with you so you need to kill off the people or silence the people who aren't who don't agree with you but not because your ideas are better than theirs but because your ideas can't be implemented if they're still chirping right so you have to kill them or get rid of them and so you start to realize how dangerous this ideology is when, when everything's based off of uprooting entire systems. But here's the part we're all missing, is you gotta replace that system with something because it's biological, it's inherent that we will create a system. So you just create a system based off of power which always dissolves. So it's a philosophy and ideology that always collapses in on itself. The problem is the way it's sold is by using affirmative action or in, in some regard, affirmative action, um, programs like that, welfare programs that all kind of have the same idea where we're gonna take people who are oppressed and 
uh, bring them up, which sounds fine on paper, but when you get it into it and you dig into it, the philosophy really doesn't work or doesn't help. And that all comes back to Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who had the idea that one, um, you should let the child do whatever that child wants because that child is pure, i.e. it turned into the hierarchy because you have the parent-child kind of hierarchy in that, in that sense. And it also comes back to his social contract. Look, we're all born free, but we all have to, to limit our freedoms in some respects so that we can all achieve liberty. Both things of which the Marxists disagree with and both will dissolve the crime of the century.